Good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here this morning, especially in these times when things are getting, a, seems like we're getting locked down a little more now by, the, uh, by this COVID virus that is, uh, again, taking its uh, toll on us across the nation. And here again, New York, I guess, is preparing again for a little more tightening up of things with the restaurants and stuff. And but it's good to see each and every one of you here this morning, and, and uh, we really need each other. We really need to come together and worship together as we're doing now. Uh, God is worthy of our praise. Amen? God is worthy of our praise. And uh, us being together, supporting one another, and, and looking out for each other is, is needed. We need each other. We need to gather together. So praise God for each one of you that are here today. Uh, we're going to continue our series today through the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. Today we'll be looking at chapter 4, but I'd like to do a quick review, if you don't mind, of uh, the chapters that we've led up to now, in case you've missed one or two of them. Again, uh, chapter 1, we saw that life under the sun here, as, as the preacher, as Solomon teaches us, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The idea of the vanity is using the word, it's like a breath, like a breeze or a vapor only here for a short period of time life is short it's fleeting it's like chasing the wind you can't hold on to it you can't attain it you can't keep it from going anywhere he describes this life as being repetitive unfulfilling and boring so he starts his search and he starts searching for satisfaction and in the first chapter he starts exploring wisdom and knowledge and found that the more he increased in wisdom, the more his grief increased. And the more that he increased in knowledge, the more his pain increased. So in this pursuit at this time, he stops and says at the end of chapter 1, it's like chasing after the wind. Chapter 2, we saw that the experiments continue. Solomon again records his journey here like a, like a diary and he engages in trying to find satisfaction in different things. In the beginning of chapter 2, it goes into his wild living, sexual pleasure, and comedy, and wine, and drink. After that, he continues his search into being industrious. He talks about building buildings, and houses, and vineyards, and gardens, and orchards, even irrigations with pools and stuff. As Mark noted uh, when he was going over this chapter, that the pronoun I was listed there about 10 times. You can see his striving and doing these buildings and doing these uh, uh, great accomplishments was all about him doing it. And in those verses, there's no mention of God. Then he continues with wealth and careers, and he starts looking and realizes that even everything that I've attained during my life, it's going to happen. I'm going to die someday, and it's going to be left to somebody. And whether this person is wise in the use of it or whether a fool, he doesn't know. So all of this striving, all of this striving that he has, he does not know how it's going to end up because he's not going to be here. Then a small light tends to shine in this dark search that Solomon's on. And he realizes that enjoyment in whatever we have, whether it's a great deal or a small amount, whatever it is, the enjoyment that we have is a gift from God. All these things that we have are gifts from God. And the emphasis is on in enjoying what God had given. And he states, This also I saw is from the hand of God, for without him 
Who can eat and find enjoyment? Chapter 3 last week, we had Keith was covering, at least in the first eight verses of the chapter 3, it talks about there's a time for everything under heaven. And the word time occurs there about 29 times in these verses. And sometimes we see that the, the word time, it's used with extremes, one way or the other. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. And between the extremes, there's a person's total life existence on this earth. And he continues by saying that God has made everything beautiful or everything appropriate in its time. And also that God has set eternity in the hearts of man. Even as Christians, we never find ultimate satisfaction in this life. And it's because God has set eternity in the hearts of man. God has made us for eternity. I'm going to repeat that. God has made us for eternity. You and I are eternal beings. When we die, our existence does not stop. It's just a doorway. Death is just a doorway that we pass through into eternity. Although our physical body is returned to dust, and as Solomon states here in these verses, that we have the same fate as animals. All of our bodies go into the ground and return to dust from where we came. But he states that the breath of man ascends upward, the beast downward. So there's some sort of difference. And that brings us into chapter 4. Please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And if you're using your pew Bible, that's on page 800. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I've entitled this study, it's The Preacher's Observations. We saw him doing things, doing things, and doing things, seeking satisfaction. Now for a minute he pauses back and he starts observing things. And he gives certain insight into these things he observed. You'll find uh, there are notes in your in your bulletin there on the insert. And if you want to follow them, if you're one of those that like to take notes or like to follow an outline, it's there. Again, uh, please follow as I read Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which are being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them and powers on the side of the oppressors but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the death who were already dead more than the living who were still living. Better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. I've seen that every labor and every skill which is done is a result of rivalry between a person and his neighbor. This too is futility and striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. Then I looked again at futility under the sun, and there was a man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and for whom do I labor and deprive myself of pleasure? This too is futility and is an unhappy task. Two are better than one because they have a good return for the labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. 
Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. A poor yet wise youth is better than an old foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. For he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I have seen all those living under the sun move to the side of the second youth who replaces him. There is no end to all the people, to all who were born before them. Even the ones who will come later will not be happy with him. For this too is futility and striving after wind. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's take a moment and pray before we start looking into the scripture. Father, we ask that you give us understanding into what the preacher is saying in these verses, Lord. Help us to apply your words to our lives. Give us wisdom and guidance as we walk here under the sun. And as we walk, Lord, help us to realize that eternity is ahead for each and every one of us. In every step that we take, Lord, we'll draw closer to it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at the first uh, three verses here, verses one through three. I entitled this part as Solomon Observes Oppression. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. And the power was on the side of the oppressors, but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the deaf who were already dead. More than the living who are still living, but better off than both of them was the one who has never existed, who has never seen evil activity that is done under the sun. We see here the preacher. He's observing the oppressed, the poor, the helpless, the weak, those who are being overpowered by the oppressor. We see this all around us in the world today. People being taken advantage of. They're being oppressed. Young girls kidnapped and forced into the sex trade. Children forced extremely long hours in wretched conditions in sweatshops, being paid pennies a day for their help their families to survive. Solomon speaks about seeing the tears of the oppressed and no one to comfort them. Seems like all the powers on the side of the oppressor who had no one to comfort them. This just doesn't seem right to us. All this inequity in the world, all this is not fair. He goes on to say this in verse 2, so I congratulated the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still living. Solomon here commends the dead. They're free from this oppression. The dead are, are in a better position than those who are living a life under suffering and persecution and being under, being oppressed. Verse 3 says, And better off than both of them is the one who has never existed. Those who have never been born, 
or even better off than the dead. For they never saw or experienced the evils that are in this world. Better off not to have been born, is what he's basically saying. Job, in his long sufferings, once said basically the same thing. In the third chapter of Job, it states that Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day that he died. Excuse me, he cursed the day that he was born. He said, may the day on which I was, uh, I was born, I should have perished, as well as the night in which was said a boy is conceived, because it did, because it did not shut open the, uh, my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. He says, why did I not die at birth? Come out of the womb and pass away. Basically saying the same thing. I'd be better off if I wasn't born. Question to you, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever faced trials in your life that were so difficult, so exhausting, so painful, that you thought you'd never get through them? And perhaps it was a death of a loved one. Maybe a diagnosis of cancer or other deteriorating disease or loss of your job, loss of your business. Something that happens in your life where you hit rock bottom. You feel like you can't get any lower and you say to yourself, Lord, take me home. Please take me home. Others might say, you know, I wish I were dead or I'd be better off if I was never born. David had some very trying times in his life also. Think of all the persecution he went through and Saul hunting him to try to kill him and even his Absalom going after him. In Psalm 73, speaking of injustice, David says this, When I thought of understanding this, it was troublesome in my sight until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Until we go into the presence of God, view things from His holy temple, a heavenly perspective, there where we could see the work of His hands being accomplished. There we get a glimpse of what's going on. We might not understand it all, but accepting it, knowing God is sovereign, that He's in control, and that our Heavenly Father knows best, we can find peace and rest in that fact. A view from God's perspective, we can see things working out in His love and in His grace in our lives with an eternal purpose in mind, that to be accomplished, His will. Everyone knows the verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that God has caused all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Solomon, after viewing the oppression, he turns and he says he observes labor. He says in verse 4 through 6, I have seen that every labor, every skill which is done is a result of rivalry between a person and his neighbor. This too is futility and striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One hand full of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. 
Now, rivalry between people usually produces envy and jealousy and strife. We have to outdo the competition. We have to get ahead. We have to work more hours, work more overtime. Our time is consumed with working every minute of the day. We don't want to just keep up with the Joneses. We want to outdo them. Have a nicer home, have a better lawn, a bigger pool, maybe more expensive car. Now, competition is a huge motivator, but it can cause problems that we've got to be careful of because it's based out of pride. Too much work, this extensive labor that this man was going through to get ahead, says that this too is futility and chasing after the wind. But on the other hand, look at verse 5. It says, The fool who folds his hands consumes his own flesh. Now, idleness or laziness ruins oneself. It leads to self-destruction. One translation loosely paraphrases this verse by saying, Foolish people refuse to work and almost starve. One extreme, there's the other extreme. So what's the answer? Verse 6 says, One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. This is saying that there's got to be a balance. Moderation will produce peace and contentment and will avoid the stress and the ills of envy and rivalry, which is chasing after the wind. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, asks this. It says, Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, so that I may will not uh, be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And that I will not be become impoverished and steal and profane the name of the Lord. So we see there needs to be a balance. And Solomon then sees this man working. He observes this loneliness involved in labor. Verses 7 and 8 say, Then I looked again at the futility under the sun. And there was a man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with the riches, and he never asked, and for whom do I labor and deprive myself of pleasure? This too is futility and is an unhappy task. We see here a man without descendants, no son, I assume no wife, he's got no brother. The text tells us he's without a dependent. He worked all the time. His total existence was work. There was no end to all his labor. This lonely workaholic here, who apparently had no relationships with others, his eyes were not satisfied with the riches he had. He had never the time or the sense to ask himself, why am I doing this to myself? He never did a self-analysis of his life. Maybe that's something we should do every now and then. He never asked himself, for whom do I labor and deprive myself of pleasure? 
man never enjoyed the fruit of his labor. Maybe he never took a vacation. Never considered the joys and the benefits of companionship. Someone to share the fruit of his labor with. He was too busy working. And so what a pitiful picture this is. Crispus is not all too far away. Many will remember the Charles Dickens story, A Christmas Carol. One of the main characters in it is who? Ebenezer Scrooge. An old, cranky, cheap but wealthy, lonely man. This passage kind of reminds me of him. But look at the contrast here in verses 9 through 12. The contrast is two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Warren Worsby broke these verses down into four W's. Working, walking, warmth, and watch care. He talks about how two are better than one. In lines of working, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor, it says in verse 9. Some jobs can't easily be done alone. It is better to have someone to help, someone to work with you. It can be more efficient, it can be quicker, it could be safer, and it could even be more profitable. It says here that you get a good return for their labor. Walking. Two are better than one. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. I'm sure many of you have taken up walking and stuff over this COVID time outside. And you ever notice when you're walking with somebody, time passes quicker? Just seems from conversation, whatever. And with a companion, you can usually want to watch out for the holes, look out for the traffic. You get a little more safety involved with two people. If one stumbles, you've got somebody there to help get back on your feet. This is true of our spiritual walk also. We need someone there to lift us up sometimes. The Lord provides a brother and a sister to help us when we face life's difficulties, our discouragements, our times of loneliness. This is part of the reason for the local church and Christian fellowship to strengthen each other, to share the joys and to share the sorrows and become a part of each other's lives. We need each other. And this is how God has actually made us. Look at the warning to the one here, who, the warning to the lone individual. It says, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Warmth. Two is better than one. Furthermore, 
If two lay down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? I know I don't. Most people probably don't like the cold. On a cold night, sleeping under the blanket, two people together produce more heat than one sleeping alone. If you ever go on a camping trip, cold weather outside, even within a tent, the more people you have within it, bodies huddled together, the more heat is given off. And it's warmer within them. There was an American band that was formed in 1967. It's called Three Dog Night. Anybody remember that? Three Dog Night. They did a five or six hit songs. What a strange name for a band. The name actually comes from an Australian ab Aborigines phrase, which actually means it's a rudimentary nightly temperature gauge. It's a thermostat for the cold. Dogs were used to huddle with humans at night to keep warm. On really cold nights, three dogs were invited into the bed to keep a person warm and from freezing. Thus, an extremely cold night would be called a three-dog night. Companionship keeps us warm and safe from life's bitter cold nights. We need each other. Watch care, fourth W. Two are better than one for protection. Verse 12 states, and if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Safety in numbers. One alone is not only lonely, but it's also at a risk and maybe even hazardous to be alone. Jesus, even when he sent out the disciples, sent them out two by two to preach the gospel. There's a buddy system involved here. It makes sense when we're working, when we're walking, to stay warm and to stay safe. It says a cord of three stands is not, strands is not quickly torn apart. Two is better than one, and three is better than two. There are strength, or there is strength in numbers. Working, walking, warmth, and watch care, all of these Illustrations have one thing in common. They're summed up in a we and not me. We and not me. This is how God designed us. This is how we should live. We should share our lives with others, be a part of others' lives, and share what we enjoy with others around us. Think of the early church in Acts chapter 2. This is exactly what they did. The believers gathered together and shared with those that were in need. Solomon observes prestige, popularity, and replacement, verses 13 through 16. A poor yet wise youth is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. For he has come out of prison to become king even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I've seen all those living under the sun move to the side of the second youth who replaces him. There is no end to all the people, to all who were before them, 
even the ones who will come later, will not be happy with him. For this too is futility in striving after the wind. We have to understand that this passage is talking about the popularity and the prestige of being the king. But all this popularity comes to an end someday here under the sun. It's great while you're on the top, but don't think it's going to last forever. There'll come a time when you'll be replaced. We see in these verses here, we have a wise youth, an old foolish king, and a second who replaces him. Now, m many authors and writers, when they write stories and books and stuff, they use their past experiences and people from their past in the, in the writings to form their characters, including people's personalities to some extent, sometimes their quirks. And they weave them into their stories, hopefully not using their real names. One of the commentators we were mentioning on, on this piece of passage here, it says that uh, that's kind of the case that Solomon did here. It talks about an ill-fated, foolish king that could have been an illustration of, Saul, of King Saul, first king of Israel. Now think of him, he was first king. Israel wanted a king after being ruled by judges. That wasn't good enough for them. They actually wanted a king like all the other nations around them, and this was not anything in God's original plan. But they picked, uh, they picked Saul to be the first king of Israel. They picked him. He was a tall, good-looking individual, very popular figure for a while until David outshined him. 1 Samuel 17, uh, excuse me, 18.7 says, And the women sang, and they played, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. The poor wise youth, in this case, could be David, who was a peasant shepherd from a small town who turned into a mighty warrior and a leader and was a man after God's own heart. And he ends up replacing Saul. And the second youth here replaces him, which could possibly have been Solomon, replacing his father David on the throne. Now Solomon's fame went throughout the world, the known world at that time. He was known for his wisdom, his accomplishments. He was paid homage and honor by all sorts of kings and queens all over the world. He extended his kingdom and ruled for about 40 years in peace. All of these kings' fame, all of their glory lasted only a short time. Solomon, at this point in his life, was growing older. Maybe the people were preparing for a, a new king, and he writes, even the ones who will come later will not be happy with him, for this too is futility and striving after the wind. Fame, prestige, popularity, these are fleeting. They only last for a season here under the sun. Whether you're a rock star, whether you're a president, whatever it is, they only last for a short period of time under the sun. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.25 states, speaking about Olympics, 
or the competitions of the games of those days. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that won't last. There's a temporary fame, a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. We must walk in this life, through this life, here under the sun, with eternity in mind. We must keep our minds set on things above and not on things here below. Lord, help us to do this each and every day. Let's pray. Lord, we, we don't know what the future holds for each one of us here under the sun. We don't know what trials and tribulations we'll face tomorrow. But we do know that your word tells us that there is an eternity in store for each and every one of us. And if we've confessed with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus died and rose from the dead, and if we repented of our sins and you are the Lord and Savior of our life, we, we know that that eternity be, will be with you. And there there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, but just joy forevermore in your presence. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of the fact that we're going to die someday. Now, while we're here living under sun, help us to labor and enjoy your gifts to us. Help us to live a life that's we, not me. Help us to share our lives with others around us, Lord, and having them become part of our lives. And this for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.